Well, hello. It's July 7th, 2020. This is Gary, you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today, a book was published about Mr. Trump, and just hearing some of the contents of the book got me kind of inspired. It's good to do this podcast because uh, it allows me to just uh, get it all out. I don't like thinking about that asshole too much because I was burnt out on Trump back in like 1991, you know, like, it's already like tired of hearing about him and stuff. And now he's the fucking president. So we got to hear about him every day. But his niece, um, uh, the daughter of his of Donald Trump's sister, wrote a book. She's a, she has a PhD in clinical psychology and, um, it's more just fuel for the fire. There's not really anything that's really surprising in it. You know, it's, it's just more from a, an even closer perspective, someone that's known him a good portion of his life, you know? So maybe that's what it is. Although do people read anymore? You know, I, I don't know. Not sure. But basically, in the year 2020, if a person is going to vote for Trump in November, there, there's, a, there's basically a, a couple options for their justification. Either ignorance and, and, and or not caring. And, and that's really, you know, one of... A main thing there. It's it's. There's a lot of ignorance. We're just not caring about the things that he's done that were extremely vindictive and harmful and cruel that he's done throughout his life, and certainly though the power that he has now. And then the other option is that they they truly support those kind of things. In other words, like the the racist stuff. You know, he gets a, a strong support from you know the Aryan Nation type crowd. Um, are all Trump supporters racist? No, of course not. But if you are a racist, you're certainly supporting Trump because he's a racist. And it's one of the things he's famous for. So as we get closer, I think it's good to just kind of continue to sort of remind everyone the full Donald Trump story so that everyone's clear as to what it is that they are voting for. And to also present other options, because for, for many people, for many Americans, uh, voting for the Democrats is just not an option. And that's fine. That's, that's A-OK. But you don't have to vote Republican just because you don't like the Democrats. And there's this other option. If you're a working class conservative and you like to vote mainly on uh, lowering taxes and minimal government intervention and stuff and all that kind of stuff, small government and it's called the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian. That's a, that's a great option. If you generally vote Republican, can't stand the Democrats, but you want to make a vote that doesn't, you know, vote for fascism. Because <laughs> that's what Trump re represents. He represents fascism. So if you're that working class conservative, Libertarian 2020. Now, most likely, whoever the libertarian nominee is, is not going to win. But, but if enough people vote libertarian, 
they could actually, you know, get better coverage the next presidential election, and we could actually have a legitimate third party. So, hopefully, that's something that a lot of people who generally vote Republican will do this fall, because it's imperative to the future of this country and democracy and a country that professes to be the land of liberty, the land where you can have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If those things are important, uh, then people must not vote Trump. Now, who, who they vote for instead, that's really a, a completely separate debate, a separate question. For me personally, I'm going to go Biden, because I, but I t generally vote left anyway. So the libertarian option is more if you are... Generally speaking, normally a Republican, but in this particular election, and for that matter, back in 2016, the Republican Party's nominee was not actually a Republican. He's just a guy that put an R next to his name to fool people because he's a con man. So Donald Trump is a famous con man going back to the 1970s. The way Donald Trump became famous was back in the 1970s. His father owned some condos uh, outside of New York City, I think in Queens, kind of uh, low-income housing type things. His father and Donald Trump uh, refused to rent those condominiums to minorities, and those minorities sued the Trump organization for you know discrimination, because what the the Trump business would do is they would sort of send certain, they, they had like certain buildings that they basically would, that's where they would send certain minority groups to. And so they wouldn't let certain minority groups, even if they were totally qualified and all that kind of stuff. So it was just pure discrimination. And it was a case that where they were sued. And that's kind of how Donald Trump became famous. Yeah. Uh, and then in the early eighties, he was involved in the building of, of a hotel that was there or sort of refurbishing it, he was involved in the project. Uh, no, he didn't do any of the actual building or designing or any of that kind of stuff. He was just involved in the project. He had his name on the thing, on the on the project. When the Continental Hotel, uh, he didn't actually put his name on the hotel or anything, but that, that particular project went well. And then later he was involved in the refurbishing of an ice rink. This is all back in the early 80s. Since then, uh, it's been kind of a just decade after decade of various cons and schemes and, you know, bankruptcy, um, failed marriages from because he was cheating on his wives, uh, racist statements, sexist statements. Um, in the early 90s, I think it was, I was a little kid, I remember it. He had a big full page ad put on in the New York Times demanding that the five teenagers accused of a crime uh, be executed. He was 100% positive that they were absolutely guilty. And the reason he thought that was because they were minorities, because he's a, he's a racist, he, a very famous racist. And that's way back in the early 90s, late 80s. I forget the specific year it was, but I remember that because uh, – 
those teenagers weren't much older than I was and they looked like friends of mine. You know, uh, later it came out that none of them were involved in the particular crime, although some of them did serve time in prison for a crime that they did not commit. But nonetheless, Donald Trump was positive that they were guilty and should be executed. And he put a, and he paid for a full page ad, bring back the death penalty. It was, uh, it was the case was called the Central Park Five. And then around that time, before and after that time, lots of bankruptcies. It was six in all. One of his biggest colossal failures was the Trump Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City. Um, just a, a, a colossal failure. Uh, he also attempted to build a casino in Vegas, Hotel Casino Vegas, but wasn't able to build the, the casino portion because he wasn't able to get a gaming license. The reason he wasn't able to get a gaming license is because some of his casinos were extremely passive when it came to um, money laundering type things going on. And so they weren't able, he wasn't able to get a gaming license. He said longstanding ties to Russian mafia as well as various New York crime families. His attorney for many years by the name, a name, but man by the name of Roy Cohn was the personal attorney for uh, McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy, who was a senator back in the 50s that was on like an anti communist crusade type thing and eventually died shortly after that debacle. But he was, um, Roy Cohn was also the kind of a consigliere type guy. Uh, he was an attorney for various uh, New York crime families, and that was Trump's lawyer. Um, and the way that Roy Cohn protected the interests of criminal families was the same way he protected Trump's family. Um, but the Trump organization is is uh, sort of structured a little bit different than a crime family, mostly because of the amount of capital that they started out with the amount of just pure raw assets monies uh, Donald Trump inherited 400 million dollars from his father Donald Trump was not lent loaned only 1 million from his father that is a myth Donald Trump inherited in today's dollars about 400 million dollars he is nothing even remotely close to self-made there is a very good chance that Donald Trump is not even a billionaire, even though he inherited $400 million. His net worth may very well be less than the amount that he inherited, which means that he used that massive amount and then did nothing with it except squander it. He was notorious for being an extremely poor businessman. And this was known, but it, the actual data on that only came out within the last few years. IRS tax returns that have come up, basic summaries and stuff, show that in some of the years in the 80s, he was the worst businessman in all of America. The worst. Not literally, you know, literally the worst. He lost more money than any other American. And he did this several years in a row. Now, how he came out of that and became a game show host <clears throat> is not really fully known you know after his sixth bankruptcy he kind of disappeared for a while uh he had very various other failed ventures like trump vodka 
he doesn't drink alcohol at all. So what he would know about a vodka is, um, you know, that probably little to anything. He also Trump University, which is a fraudulent school. It's not a real university, but it was pretending to be as such and charging people as if it was a real university. Eventually, that they had to close their doors uh, because it was a it was a scam. Um, the Trump Foundation is also no longer allowed to call itself a philanthropic organization in New York State because it's not a philanthropic organization. Um, but that's just these are just tidbits, and they're really just the part of the long ongoing story of Trump. He's been around a long, long time. He's always been this sort of cancerous presence in our society. Just this guy that, because he was born so wealthy, he was able to make infinitely more mistakes than the average person. Some people born into the lower levels of the socioeconomic ladder, they engage in the things that he's done throughout his life, and they are certainly in jail. Maybe dead. Because he's had criminal associations as well. You know, you start associating with those kinds of groups, those kinds of people doing those kinds of things, and you're, you don't have the kind of money and fame that he does, and um, you may just disappear. So he, he had a different set of rules for him. He was just this kind of buffoon of a man, and um, you know, it's hard to... I don't have any hate towards him. It's, it's more of a pity, you know, because he was raised... His father raised him to be, to view the world as winners and losers. It's his, you know, just a, just a horrible way to view the world. Because then the, the, the only way for you to win is for someone to lose. Which, in sports, that's great. That, that's how it goes sometimes. You know, sometimes you tie, though. Even in sports, sometimes you tie, you know. Even, you know, football and hockey, there's, well, in hockey, there's ties all the time. In soccer, there's ties all the time. So, you know, it's neither a win nor a loss. Uh, but usually in sports, one team wins, and that means the other team loses. But in life, it's not really that way. You can win, and your neighbor can win too. Everybody can win. You know, you, you don't have to have people lose just for you to gain. But that's his kind of mindset. The only way he can get more is by taking away from others. The easiest group for him to take away from is people that are far less uh, wealthy than he is, which is most people. And so he's taken advantage of wide groups of people. You know, fa Family-owned businesses that have been open for decades, he's bankrupt them because they made the unfortunate mistake of doing business with him. There was a family-owned carpentry company that did some of the work on the cabinets for the <coughs> cabinets for the uh, slot machines at his Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal casino, uh, and then Trump just never paid them, and so the carpentry company had to sue him, which costs money to sue because you got to pay lawyers and all that. But Trump has virtually infinite assets, so he was able to hire a team of lawyers to drag out the case, and eventually. After all the assets was, you know, dried up from the carpentry company, they were forced to just settle so they could at least get something back, mostly just to cover the cost of the case itself, uh, and then had to declare bankruptcy. So, you know, 
That's a win for Trump. And I remember the image of him walking out of a, a courtroom with a big, smug, arrogant smile on his face because he had fucked over another group of people, another group of hard-working, working-class people, yet again, and he was going to get away with it with barely any sort of penalty at all. You know, some, some money is exchanged, but it's less than what he had originally promised them. And maybe even his total cost is somehow actually more because he has to pay, for, pay the attorneys to contest it and stuff. But he gets the win, you know, and that's all that mattered to him. So I, he's a person that I've been fascinated is the wrong word, but sort of uh, in, intrigued by, I guess, like, why is this guy on TV? Why do we give him a soapbox, you know? It's, it's always been very confusing, going all the way back to the late 80s, early 90s, and I was a little kid. I, I didn't understand why we had to hear him, you know. If he goes on a particular talk show and they have him as a guest, that's one thing. But he would be covered in the news quite often. And sometimes he would use that platform, whatever reason he was in the news, cheated on his wife again or he um, bankrupted another company. Whatever the reason was he was in the news, he would use it to promote his next venture. Because he was a con man. So, but he was ap operating fully out in the open. It was the elephant in the room. Donald Trump is a con man. He's famous and he's on TV. And he's famous for being a quote-unquote successful businessman. But it, it, it's all a, a myth. It, he's, not he's not successful. He's just a guy that was born with a lot of money. And because he was born with a lot of money, there's a different set of rules for him that govern everyone else. Now, combined with this is that he has, he's a, he's a disturbed individual. You know, he's a sociopathic narcissist. Uh, he only cares of himself. And it's refreshing to know that at least someone from his family is kind of speaking out because, um, you know, he, he's a scary individual. You know, he, he's, he was a destructive enough force in our society just being himself way prior to the election. Just, just being in the spotlight, allowing the spotlight to shine on him so that he can promote his insanity. You know, that was bad enough. But now that he's the actual president and has been one for a while, he's done a major damage to this country in just a few years. The, 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 the soul of this country. He's just been attacking it relentlessly day after day after day. And sadly, there are still going to be millions of people that will vote for him in 2020. This, this fall, this November, there's still going to be millions of people that vote for him. Now, most likely, he'll still lose. I, I mean, God willing, please make sure that Trump is not reelected. Um, but just knowing that, and because so his stench is going to linger for a while, because even if he's voted out in November, his term doesn't end till January. What happens in those few months? What's going to go on there? You know, is he just going to tap out and just not do anything? Just play golf the whole time? That'd be awesome. I'd, I'd prefer he just didn't do anything. Just don't even, but he'll most likely spend the time tweeting and kind of, threatening to do something crazy and but 
you know, that'd be a weird sight if he has to get actually like forcibly removed from the office, from the White House. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that it won't actually have to come to that. But I think the confusing part about this era is that everything I'm saying about Trump is is true. Like all, his whole backstory is what it is. And it was fully well known years prior to him running. Donald Trump is a famous con man who's most famous for being a racist, sexist, uh, bankrupt game show host. Who you, you, and that that is the story. There isn't like there's a lot of confusion amongst his followers who believe that those were maybe just either just they just dismiss it altogether and say, oh no, that's fake news, and it's like no, no, he he did do all those things, or they think that those are just fluke, random, uh, you know, just these random times where he went from the path or something. And no, you know, it's just that, that is his story. Lying, cheating, stealing, you know, a lack of empathy for others, a just corrosive personality that only brought people down and that that just was what he was is you know that that was the trump story a fraud a failure racist sexist but he had a lot of money money brings you a lot of power in this country and you don't even necessarily have to have the money you you just have to have the perception of money and it may very well be that Trump is just has the perception of wealth. You know, how much he actually owns outright is not really clear because he's very evasive about it. Most or a lot of millionaires and billionaires are very open about what they're invested in because they like to brag about it. People with a lot of money usually like to brag about what it is that they're invested in and what kind of things that they own. They want to show them to you. He has these various toys, but then a lot of the times they're just leased. Like he had some helicopters in the 80s and he leased those. Uh, but he had a, he does spend a lot of money. You know, he does live lavishly. But how much of that money that he's spending is actually his, it, it's not totally clear. His son, Eric Trump, at one time, several years ago, did say that the majority of the money that is vested in the Trump organization comes from Russia. He said it at a actual, you know, public speech type thing. There's video of it and all that sort of thing. He did say that. There's been books written about it. Um, Tim O'Brien and uh, David K. Johnston are two excellent journalists to check out. Tim O'Brien's book I haven't read yet. Books I haven't read yet. I think his is uh, the making of Don- no making of Donald Trump is David K. Johnson. He's written a couple. They they go into great detail the 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 true backstory of Trump. What it is he truly is. How he how he got his wealth. What he does with the money, um, and where it all comes from and stuff. You know, they they go into great detail. Now we got another book coming out that kind of, that's really delving into who he is as a person. What is his ethical compass? What, what is his code of ethics, if any? Does he have any? 
Most likely it's going to be re revealed from the full re reading of that book that he doesn't really have any of that. He doesn't have a code of ethics. His thing is Trump. What benefits him? Trump. And that's it. it it's really the, the case where he is as bad as the perception is. And it may very well be that he's even worse because... This is tendency to always want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I, where the benefit is with him, it's kind of, you know, I think the benefit of the doubt with now with Trump is that he's probably in the beginning stages of dementia and, you know, he's had some cognitive loss. He doesn't talk the same as he did in the eighties. It's not like he was ever that smart to begin with. He was just arrogant, which is not sometimes gets confused as intelligence. He, he was an arrogant, rich prick, you know, that liked to gloat about how he could get away with shit. You know, he, he could do shit that would destroy other people's careers, but for him, it's just, it, it'll just get him more fame and possibly even more money. So... It's just, what, it, what does it say about our country that, A, he was elected in the first place? You know, that a, one of the two options actually picked him. They actually nominated him, and that got the ball rolling. And there was a lot of contention within the party about nominating him because, you know, he's Donald Trump. He's a famous con man. You know, he, he's famous for being fraudulent. You know, he's, he's famous for creating companies... And giving the impression that the company was going to be trying to earn a profit, but then the company is really just a money laundering scheme to help Russian mafia interest. That second part is more of a theory because we don't have very specific evidence. We only have sort of uh, circumstantial evidence regarding how close his revenue stream is tied to Russian oligarchs. We don't. We don't have the nuts and bolts of it, but that doesn't mean we have to be completely dismissive of the idea that it's all, that means it's all a hoax. Well, no, there, there is a paper trail. We just haven't found it yet, but it will show up eventually. Uh, where does all his money come from? Is there a, oh shit moment for the working class MAGA? Is there a point in the next few months where they're like, oh, shit. Uh-oh, oh, I fucked up. I hope so. You know, I, I, I don't want anything bad to happen to people. You know, the, the, the MAGA crowd that's like not believing that the coronavirus is real and stuff. And then supporting Trump. It's like, you're, you're not going to get anything from him. You know, he, he's not going to make your life better. A, because he doesn't care about you. He only cares about himself. So he doesn't, you know, you're not a concern to him. That Literally, when he goes to the crowd and speaks to the crowd, it's purely to make him feel good. That is their purpose. He doesn't really care about what their lives are like. He doesn't like mingling with the regular person. He likes talking at them. But he certainly wouldn't want to be in the crowd 
You know, that's not who he is. He, he was born extremely affluent and privileged, and that's the lifestyle that he's used to. Golfing several days a week and stuff and living in a literal gold mansion, you know, on the upper floors in Manhattan or whatever. That's, that's who he is, you know, private jets and all that kind of stuff. He's lived a very exclusive, lavish lifestyle, and that's the lifestyle that he's come accustomed. So he knows nothing of working-class people's lives, and he cares nothing for their lives. He'll go visit your factory and pretend to give a shit if you will vote for him so that he can be president, but he doesn't really give a fuck about what your life is like or what struggles you may face. In fact, shortly after getting elected, what was the thing that he did? He signed a bill that gave wealthy people more money. Yeah, and big companies too. What did those big companies do? A lot of them laid off employees. Yeah, because they had extra money now. They could lower production and still maintain the same profit. So they could cut, they can actually cut expenses and, you know, still come out on ahead, cut production levels. So, but I guess it's also because I've been aware of Trump and what he is and what he represents for so long. I guess I also appreciate that my parents didn't make me, force is the wrong word, but because there was several years there where I genuinely looked forward to going to church. But I think you take for granted when you're raised in the church and you go to church throughout, you know, I went to church until I was probably about uh, 19 or 20 or so. And I went, I was uh, pretty active in youth group Sundays though. Where, you know, I was at church for a good four hours or so, three, four hours each, each week because uh, on, on Sundays, because uh, there'd be the first service and then I, it was very difficult for me to sit through a church service. So what I would do is help out with uh, what was called children's church. All the kids from ages like 5 to 9 or 10 would come down. And then uh, I would kind of help out with the Sunday school teacher that. And I started doing that even when I was like a kid, like 12, 13, because I just couldn't sit through a service. It was just, you know, I'm not good at sitting for that long. It's just not really a thing in the wooden pews and all that. So helping out with a bunch of younger kids and stuff was good. And, and and then the second service, that's when I would go to the Sunday school, which would be, you know, age, the different grades and stuff would kind of be in different classes and stuff. And I did that all the way through high school. And then even the first, they kind of tried out a couple different churches in the first couple years of college. But yeah, the you know, the structure and stuff, I both liked and then sometimes didn't like in the kind of the rigidness and stuff. But I guess when you grow up in that, you, you kind of take, take for granted that not everyone's going to have that same kind of moral and ethical compass. I'm not a perfect person, but the idea of like forgiveness, the golden rule, and these things are doing to others as you would have them do unto you. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. These are these mantras they kind of stick with you and they become like a foundation of your, of my uh, belief system and how I kind of process the world and how, you know, and I'll, I do unto others as I do and have them do unto you. Sometimes that can, you know, be difficult because sometimes I'll treat someone the way I would want to be treated, but that's not the way they want to be treated because they're 
you know, they're their own person. So it's kind of, so I'll, sometimes I flip it to almost like treating them how they want to be treated because that's, but anyway, yeah. I think when you're raised in that though, you have a certain, you know, a, a, it tends to be a more clear cut, it, it, as long as you're not getting bogged down in the minutia of the Bible and stuff. It tends to be a very clear-cut and kind of good, what is good, what is bad. And our, and for me, as a kid, Donald Trump was that guy that it was like, oh, so that's the bad. That's like what not to be. And I was able to kind of formulate that pretty young. I was a kind of a sponge as a kid. I, I loved watching TV and movies and listening to music and just... There's so many different types of people out there, and there's so many good people. This is the United States of America, you know, it's a land free, home of the brave, and all that. You know, there's lots of just amazing people that have come out of this country. And, you know, when I was a little kid in the 80s, you know, there's all kinds of you know, funny comedians, and there's musicians, and then there's these, you know, there's just fascinating people that were on. And then there was, then there would be video images of people from the past, you know, I remember kind of, it's one of the weird things like channel surfing, like say it's the month of January, you're channel surfing and it's like 1988, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, black and white there, and you watch that for a bit, and then you flip a few channels, and then it's the image of Donald Trump walking out of a court case with a smug, arrogant smile. It's like a clear and obvious juxtaposition. What, which one is the good one? Which, which one left, led a life that, you know, that you'd want to strive for, to be like? And it would be difficult. And he paid an ultimate price for living that life, you know? He promoted peace and equality. And he died for it. And he knew he was going to die. One of his last speeches, he's, he, Dr. King's line is, I may not get there with you. And when you watch that video, when he says it, he knows that he's not, he knew something was up. He, you know, he was in tune with something and was striving for something better than where we were at the time. And we, we've come a long way since his assassination, but obviously a long, 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 long way to go. And so that, that for me, is like a kid learning about the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes the teaching of Jesus can be a little abstract because he's, you know, a Jewish man who didn't speak English. He spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, most likely, uh, who lived and he died, lived and died 2,000 years ago. You know, it, there's no video of him. There's no pictures of him. You know, his writings are, you know, the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the, these these came later, you know, and they were, they were written by other people based off of their, you know, either time with him or hearing the message from him and stuff. So, it, you know, we don't actually have his... So sometimes it could be tough, but the, but those those... You know, that kind of code of ethics and that kind of those teachings, they, they really kind of, they have weight to them, you know, they, you can kind of latch on to them 
and kind of get a clear cut of idea what what's what's good and bad. What do sense and sometimes you're not always going to know well what what happens if I take the bad pill? What's what's the what's the effects? You know. And sometimes you'll be tempted to go down a wrong path, and hopefully you'll figure it out soon enough and revert and go back a different way. For me, learning about the teachings of Jesus as a kid, and then also seeing, flipping on the TV and seeing this black and white footage of a man who also had passed away, but there's video of him, and he's talking. And the things he's talking about, they seem pretty familiar it was it was easier to kind of connect. Ah, okay. Because then you also have the video of him in actual action, Dr. King. You have him leading marches, leading for equality, for all. He wasn't just marching for one race or something. I, I think that sometimes gets lost among a lot of white people. No, he was championing of equality and peace. You know, he was definitely a turn-the-other-cheek proponent, which is the right from the teachings of Jesus. So for me as a kid, I, I, you know, Black History Month or just the random time and you see that I have a dream speech and then you're reading and then I'm going to church on Sunday. It's like, oh, okay. It, it was easier to kind of connect and see like a real world, even though he was already long gone by the time I was born, he had already been... But although not a crazy amount of time, you know, certainly not 2000 years, you know, it was less than a couple decades. Um, but you have that image and those, that message, you know, then the Jesus teachings in the Bible, Dr. King, the, that Dr. King, those, that kind of grainy footage, black and white. And then uh, also when he's at the Washington Memorial, juxtapose that with like the TV I was watching of like present day at the time, late eighties, you know, the national news and the various times that Donald J. Trump was on the TV. It was always for, you know, defrauding someone, you know, or cheating on his wife, bankrupting a company, really just sort of screwing people over for no good reason other than because he could. And that was his story. So it was, for me as a kid, it was clear. That's what's not to be like. That's what's not, don't be like that guy. Don't be like Trump. That's the bad one, you know. And he was more, and he was really, in recent years, especially now as he's president, it's become, he's become more like emboldened. He's like, it's a clear cut thing. He's not, he, he barely even tries to hide what it is that he is. You know, he, he is a very tortured, um, dark soul, you know. Uh, his father probably had a lot to do with it, but that doesn't, you know, we all have our issues as people, as Americans, you know, trying to get through life and stuff. And so I'm sure that, uh, you know, his father being hard on him, because he's... When that part of the book came out, I guess he he made a tweet that like his father was always loving and hugging. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, I, it's almost like he knows that that's why he's probably the way he is. Um, but he's been that way so long that, you know, he, he's he's lost, you know, and and the people enabling him 
aren't helping things. You know, he, he needs to be removed from office. He's, he's not well. He, he needs help. And, but I don't think anybody really truly cares about him. You know, the, his closest advisors that are just allowing him to continue to be president, they obviously don't care about him. You know, they're not truly worried about him. If you're truly worried about him and want what's in his best health and interest, you, you'd have him resign or remove him from office and then, and then put him in a, you know, a retirement community, you know, under close watch and supervision. You know, because he's he's a very destructive person when he's left to his own devices. So he needs help. You know, I don't wish anything ill on the man, Donald Trump, but he he's not fit to really be in charge of really anything that has any level of responsibility because he's a disturbed individual. You know, he just has no empathy for others at all. And... You can't have that when someone is going to be with the level of power and responsibility that one has when they're the president of the United States. And that's the thing. That's what it's about. What is his character? I don't really give a fuck what letter is next to his name. He only put that letter because the other letter wasn't working. He had a D next to his name several times. He ran for president several times with a D next to his name. He also had an R before, but it wasn't for Republican. It was before the Reformed Party. But that organization went with Pat Buchanan instead that year. And that guy barely got anything because he was, you know, it's Pat Buchanan. But he put the R next to his name because he felt that that, that letter would give him the best shot at actually getting a nomination to start and then to actually get elected. And I think most likely back in 2016, what he really wanted was just to get the nomination to be the person that ran for president. Because if you run for president, and especially if you're the nominee and you're actually in the general election, that's, that's a lifelong, you get to put that on your resume, even if you lose, you know, like John Kerry, he was, he was, he was a, he's a respected figure. And stuff. He's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he was, I believe, a senator for many years and stuff. But probably what he's most famous for is running for president. He lost to George W. in the second George W. election. But nonetheless, just the fact that he was in the general election, he was a major party's nominee. Sarah Palin, she was John McCain's vice presidential running mate back in, what, 2008. They lost. But because she was on just on the ticket, it exploded her fame and notoriety and, you know, whatever. And she has that for the rest of her life. And really, that, and that's kind of the connection, too, is, you know, all going back to 2008. You have a bunch of people getting all riled up in the Tea Party movement. And I think that's when Donald Trump probably saw his opening. Because he had always been a Democrat. He had, you know, given money to the Democratic Party before. Even Hillary Clinton he was, uh, Hillary Clinton was at his, uh, wedding. He invited Hillary Clinton to his wedding. So, uh, yeah, the whole, their arch rival thing. No, no. it was, um, he only did the, you know, lock her up, all that kind of stuff because that's what the people that are into conspiracy stuff, that's what they wanted to hear. And his only shot at getting elected was to win those people over. 
you know, the the own network people, the Fox News loving folk, you know, the people that are like passionate about guns rights and they don't really give two fucks about anything else except guns, 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 guns. And that's the only thing they talk about. Winning those people over, that's that was going to be his group. Now, he probably didn't want to have to go with those people because those people are about as far removed for, from who he is as one can be. But the, you know, wealthy types, a lot of them, you know, societal folk, they're just not, a lot of them just aren't into Trump. But, you know, there are also a lot that are, you know, because he is a ultra-fluent, pampered, sheltered lifestyle type person. He's not a, you know, camping in the woods, go out shooting and hunting type of dude. You know, he's not working nine to five guy ever you know he's the type of guy that got a job working for his father wearing a suit and that was his job was just to kind of look important look like you're doing something he doesn't actually do anything um and he's taken that same work ethic to the presidency he's golfed more times than anybody the total cost of him going golfing is several million dollars and he's golfed at the golf courses that his organization owns. So he actually gets a cut of that. United States taxpayers are paying Donald Trump to go golfing at golf clubs. Courses that he owns. Yeah. And yet, there's still going to be millions of people that vote for him. It's like, well, why? You know, what, what, is the, what is the cause of that? And also, what is the thing with so many of his supporters, at least in 2016, I, I, maybe I'm naive or I, I don't know, but I feel like there's no way that there's such a high percentage of his supporters that are claiming to be Christian, that are Christian. There's, there's got to be some that have like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. After pulling out my Bible again and just kind of randomly just... Read some random stuff from the Gospels. Don't don't just close your eyes and boop, and then pick a verse. Don't don't worry about the memorization stuff. It's just try Psalms and just kind of peruse that. Peruse the Gospels. Just just peruse them and see what you get. See how much stuff you got in that that confirms that supporting and elevating a person like Trump is in you know the the interests of. The teachings of Jesus and and how specifically you know like it he's so clearly not an ethical or moral person he's so clearly not a person who lives his life according to the teachings of Jesus at all that it's very confusing when people who are claiming to be Christian claiming that those teachings are a core principle of their life a foundational thing in their life and yet they're going to support that guy. You know, it's just, no, he doesn't have, you know, a pitchfork and horns, but yeah, he, he's, he's the antithesis to the teachings of Jesus. He, he's the opposite path. A do whatever makes you feel good and don't worry about the effects on others type of person. He's a Acquire lots of things and donate none of it to philanthropic interests. Or pretend like you are and then just pocket the money instead. You know, 
He's fraudulent. It just, it's so, and maybe that's what it is. It's that it's so obvious that he's bad that it's like, that some of the Christians are like, well, he's been sent here by God. And it's like the logic on that to me is just, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of the, the opposite. If, if he was sent here, it's more to like a test, like, okay, you say you're a Christian, you say you don't worship false idols, you say you respect the golden rule, 10 commandments and all that sort of thing. Are you going to support this guy just because he has an R next to his name? And millions of them said, oh yeah. They just, you, you know, in full public view, you know, they, they yelled it out to the masses that they're going to vote Trump and they are also Christian. So it's like, well, what is your definition of Christianity then? What is your definition of the teachings of Jesus? What is your interpretation of it? Because he's not He's, what a, he's an example of what not to be. He's an example of what not to be. You can be in business and have ethics. <coughs> he is not the epitome of a good businessman. In fact, you can be in business and be a good Christian too. There's nothing wrong with being in business and trying to earn a profit. However, there is something wrong with Pretending like you're creating a company, getting people to invest in you and have faith in you, and then just pocketing the money for your own, you know, frivolous, you know, toys and stuff, you know, airplanes and helicopters and big boats and stuff, and just using the proceeds from the people investing in you to just buy useless shit, adult toys. It's just, so that's why I, I kind of think some of the Christians that are saying you're sent here, they're kind of onto something, but it's more like, yeah, it's a test. What do you really believe? No, he's not where, he doesn't have horns and a pitchfork. He's not like dressed up like a dragon or some beast or something, but he is a beast of a man. You know, he's a wretched, wretched, tortured soul. And I, you know, I have pity for him because he, he, he was so committed to that way of life at such a young age. The last little wisps of empathy for others and sort of any sort of uh, remorse probably fluttered away decades ago, you know. And one of the many Netflix or uh, documentaries about Trump, he's giving an interview in the late 70s to this woman and he makes some kind of snide comment that's become kind of his shtick in, you know, in recent decades. And he kind of winces after. Just a slight little wince. And so it's like in that video from like 1978 or whatever, you can kind of see the last little just whispers of empathy and humanity just kind of fluttering away. And fr from then on, you know, he was fully committed to that kind of thing. You know, he was going to be a person that was going to exploit other people because of his virtually infinite wealth. And he was going to use people's confidence to enrich himself. 
and then exploit them and, uh, you know, drain other people's resources. And he was fully committed to that. And then he was also going to fully embrace sort of, you know, the seven deadly sins and all that sort of thing. Um, so, it's, um, it's just a weird time because uh, I don't really like being very open about my faith, but it's just like during this time, it's just like reminded of the, uh, there's a, don't ever ask me to give specific verse and quotes and stuff. I don't, I don't have the relationship to the Bible like some people do like in that regard, but there's a story from the Bible of Jesus going to a Jewish temple and then sort of like, getting mad and, and knocking stuff down because the, it was just all these like gold uh, artifacts and all this fancy stuff in the temple. And then just a few feet outside the temple there, there was people starving and didn't have any food to eat, you know? And he was like, this is ridiculous type thing. You know, just like there are things more important than luxuries, you know? And so I think of that, story a lot um and that's one of the things that's kind of empowered me to kind of just speak my mind because more people need to speak out there's a lot of people going to church every sunday that have been led astray something has infiltrated the church in the last few decades uh like the wealth gospel bullshit that that like what is that about (laughs) you know and there's millions of people that buy into it you know like oh I can accrue massive amounts of luxuries and devote my life to luxuries. And it's totally what God wanted too. while other people are starving to death. It's like, no, there's no wealth gospel. It's like, you got to take the the Bible as as a kind of as a whole. I think when people start dissecting specific things, they'll try to look like, try to justify a specific, I want to find an excuse to accumulate massive amounts of wealth and not donate any of it. And devote my whole life to just living in a big, bat, massive mansion and having lots of stuff and not feel guilty about it at all. And then they'll, they'll pick out specific verses and stuff, even if a few verses later it kind of might contradict that and might give some clarity as to, well, you know, you're, you're not going to literally live, devote your whole life to, you know, living in big, fancy mansions and yachts and stuff if there's other people that don't have enough food to eat. You have a certain obligation, if you have that level of wealth, to be contributing to help feed the hungry, cure the sick, and, you know, educate the children and stuff. You know, there, there's certain obligations you have if you have the means and resources to do it. But, you know, So yeah, it, I mean that's that's what more what I'm a, I'm a follower of the teachings of Jesus and always have been ever since I went through confirmation when I was like eleven or twelve years old. It might be something that's maybe uh, news to some people that know me, like even my parents who are like, "Oh, I wish you can go to church more often." But it's like I had this thing with church, and now it's become more clear. It's like there's people that are going to church every Sunday claiming to be Christian and all that, and they're avidly supporting Donald Trump, and he's an antichrist. You know, it's like, oh, okay. There was something afoot that it was kind of, I couldn't quite put my finger on it as I was growing up in the church, but there was something just that kind of smelt a little off about 
some of the things that were being preached, not so much in the churches that I went to, but more as like the, the churches as a whole. I mean, it's a massive, massive thing. You know, there's lots and lots and lots of churches, lots of denominations. There's all kinds of very specific things. And they're like, oh, hey, we preach the wolf gospel. We preach. And then there's others that focus almost entirely on anti, on, on, on basically on hatred of certain groups because of the way, you know, or whatever justification they have, which is not part of the teachings of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus is very much love. So I hope that not only do more Christians who have been going for Trump have an about face and turn away from him, but reach out to him, actually. They have a certain responsibility to reach out to Trump. He's, you know, he's gotten these people. They need to start reaching out to Trump and say, what you're doing is wrong. You should resign. We're not going to vote for you, you know. We have been led astray by you, and we're not going to let you do it anymore, you know. Something like that. I know it's naive and all that, but I, I still keep holding on hope. That's one of the things I pray for. The Trump supporters, you know, MAGA. These are, many of them are good, decent people. It, I'm, you know, they're, they're, they're my family. <laughs> they're my neighbors and stuff. They're people I work with, you know, like, well, actually, I don't know if there's any that I work with that are Trump supporters. But, but anyway, you know, like, you know, my parents are Trump apologists, maybe. I, I don't think my stepdad is a supporter of him, but he was certainly an apologist of Trump. He was sort of justifying why his Trump's ethos is totally legitimate, even though both my parents are avid Christians. It's a huge part of their life, you know, going to various church events and stuff. It's a very much a community. But sometimes I think people get kind of almost bogged down in the weeds and then the clear and obvious thing right in front of them, they're like, oh, no, no. So, anyway, holding on hope for... um, some better options in the very near future. Holding on hope for this coronavirus thing. Just getting through it. Holding on hope that people will understand that it is real and will take precautions and, uh, you know, practice social distancing, wear a mask when they're in public and all that sort of thing. It is real. And then we'll be able to get through it. I hope and pray that people respect the vote that they have every four years and take it seriously. You know, uh, it's, it matters. So, and I hope people vote for democracy and vote for having empathy for others and understanding of others instead of hatred and division. It's certainly a, a hope that I have. Well, nearing the end of the hour. So, uh, thanks for anyone who is listening. Stay safe out there. This is Gary, listening to Thinking Out Loud.